Anyway, it's a new year, and there's a lot of things that's in store for us this year. Uh, so uh, let's begin it the right way. Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, the message uh, today is out with the old, in with the new. And we're going to see what the Bible has to say to us regarding that here in uh, Colossians. Now, when we go into a new year, um, it's only natural to be uh, reflective. You're going to think about all the things that happened last year, um, all the ups, um, all the downs, and everything in between. You're going to dissect every single thing that took place, and you're going to think, what could have happened to have made this or that better? What could I have done to see a better result of this or that? And uh, all of that leads up to today. It leads up to right now as we look forward to all that God uh, can do and will do in our lives while we're at church and while we're at home. But you do remember that the Bible does offer a solution uh, for the new you. In fact, the question is, what is the solution for the new you? That's the question every single one of us, every one of us here today, we need to answer. What is the solution for the new you? Um, as a child of God, there is a plan for your life. Every single day that you wake up, there is a plan that day for you. God has that plan. But at the same time, we also recognize that the world also has a plan for your life. And the two are constantly battling against one another for your attention. The whole focus is to get your attention. Jesus talked about that all the time when he was here on earth, about how the world um, is constantly pursuing you so as to make you a part of it. That's why Jesus said, if anyone loves the world or the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so it's pretty important. When we go home uh, today, tonight, you're going to turn on your television set, and you're going to be reminded that there's a lot of things on there that's competing for your attention. You're going to be reminded really, really, really fast. It's all around you. Uh, 24-hour news stations want you to catch up on the, on the breaking news. Uh, the stuff we're going to look at t on TV is going to be suggestions for you to buy stuff that you don't even need. The Internet is going to call your attention to spend hours and hours and hours looking up stuff that you don't even really care. Everything will compete for your attention. So we need to really look at this thing called the new you. Oh, and regarding those New Year's resolutions that some of you probably have made, well, permit me to save you some time and disappointment um, regarding those. Life is about prioritizing. Knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus is also, it's about prioritizing. It is. Until you discover what it means to have Jesus as first in your life, and not just saying it, because it's, it's the right thing to say, but to really, really know it. Until Jesus is first, it doesn't matter what goals you set, uh, what plan, what... Whatever it is you try to do to accomplish your resolutions, they're not going to work out. And even if they do, they're not going to mean anything. They're not going to mean anything. There's going to be a void deep down inside. And there's many of you here today, and you have that right in there, if you were to be honest and admit it, because the Lord's not number one in your life. This whole thing of discovering the new you, what does that mean according to the Scripture? Well, in Colossians... Paul addresses that right here. And I can't think of a better way for all of us to start off this new year focusing on what the Bible has to say about this in our lives. 
How does one shut out all those things that wants to compete for your attention every minute of the day? Uh, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, Paul uh, takes us to the heavenlies. But in Colossians chapter 3, he brings us right back down to earth and he goes to work. And I want you to hear this. Here is the getting off the launching pad of today's message. The secret to living the Christian life and succeeding in this journey called the spiritual life that all Christians have, it's in recognizing one thing, that you died, that you're dead. The Bible has a lot to say about this. You died. And the sooner you realize what that means, now you're really on the path of going somewhere. And you're really going to be uh, in the process of running into the things that God wants you to experience, but you can't experience it until you realize you're dead. You're dead. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Now, we're just, you don't need to stand up on this because I'm going to be all over the place, okay? But I know in, uh, on the screen it says 5 through 17, but to get the full picture, just look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul says this. He says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. What does that mean? That means we need to be more heavenly-minded than earthly-minded. And you notice he begins it by saying, if. Now he's talking to a church of brand-new Christians here in the city of Colossae. And he's telling them, he says, listen, if you really have followed Christ, if you have really given your life to Christ, then let's be heavenly-minded in what we do. Let's be purposeful in the things that we do. He says this, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You know that phrase, seated at the right hand of God, does not mean that Jesus is up in heaven, He's sitting down on His chair. That word, seated at the right hand of God, designates power and distinction. Jesus is above all things, and all things are subjected to Him. And He is seated side by side with His Father. And then it says this in verse 2, Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. And then He says, um, the, He just goes right to the, 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 main, the center of the target when He says in verse 3, For you have what? You have died. He's talking to people who are alive in the church, and he's telling them, you're not alive. You died. You, you died. You're dead. He says, you died. He says, uh, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he says, and when Christ, who is our life, because remember, you're hidden in him, when, he, uh, when Jesus is revealed, then you're going to be revealed right alongside with him. You're going to be with him. He's with you, but you are with Him. Now look at verse 5. It says, Therefore, Paul says, Consider the members of your body, your earthly body, as dead. There he goes again. You're dead. He says, What are you dead to? To immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. Let me just stop right there. These things that he mentions right here, if any of these things have a tangle hold on you, you've got a lot of company in this room. You've got a lot of company. And if you've ever wondered, oh, why doesn't God speak to me? How can I know that I'm walking with God? How can I be sure that I'm right where I need to be with, with, with Christ? Know this. If these things are going on in your life and you're not doing anything to overcome these areas, well, there's the reason why you're not experiencing what you want to experience. Here's the reason why. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God will be revealed. God doesn't take this stuff lightly. He never takes it lightly. And then in verse 7, it says, And in them, he says, you also once walked. 
when you were living in them. He's telling the church, listen, I know what you all used to do. And Paul's literally saying, I, hey, I did it too. He says, but you used to do that. You don't do that anymore. Praise God, there has been a real significant change in your life. And he says, you used to be like this. He says, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, Paul is saying there is no distinction, doesn't matter who you are. You got a lot of money, you have no money. You're black, you're white. It doesn't matter with God. None of this matters. There's no distinction. No one gets special favor. Everyone is on the same playing field before God. And in verse 12, Paul says, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Here's the good one right here. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Did you know that a starfish has the ability to regenerate a lost limb? A lost limb. If a starfish loses a limb, it will begin to grow a new one, and sometimes it will happen as quick as just a few months, and most of the time, when it is through growing that limb, if you were to see it, knowing it had previously lost a limb, you wouldn't even be able to tell uh, that it had once lost that limb. It's that perfect. Since the limb, um, some species of starfish even have the ability that from that limb, it will grow a starfish. Now, that's freaky. That's weird right there. Uh, since that limb doesn't have a mouth, it lives off of the stored nutrients within it. Uh, and it will use that energy uh, as it begins growing. And eventually, if it survives long enough, it'll grow a new mouth where it can start eating um, again uh, while it's continuing to grow the rest of its body, its, its limbs. In the same way, with God, regeneration is not me growing new spiritual limbs. Regeneration is seen as God taking something dead. Taking something dead. And using, uh, and using uh, that person, that guy, that, that lady... Uh, that is dead, and he, fo uh, uh, he molds them and, and, and folds them into the image that he wants them to be uh, as, as that new believer, as that new uh, creature. Regeneration is not me going out and doing anything. It is what he is doing inside of me for his purpose. As impossible as it may seem, he can make anything that is dead very much alive very much alive, more alive than you've ever been in your life. Do you know what happened to you the moment you, when, you, uh, when you gave your life to Christ? Do you recognize all the things that took place in your life when you gave your life to Jesus? 
Now, we could spend a long time doing this, but just out of curiosity, because I want everybody to kind of look around and see. How many of you were led to the Lord by a family member? Raise your hands. You discovered Jesus because someone in your family told you, put them up. I want everybody to be able to see, because this is kind of cool. How many of you found Christ at a church event? How many of you were led to Christ by a Sunday school teacher? Okay. How many of you discovered Christ, you found Christ having been witnessed to by someone close to you in your life and you accepted him someplace away, someplace other than a church? Yeah, that was me too. How many of you were saved before the age of 18? How many of you were not? It's a lot easier. And how many of you are really glad that you're saved? I just want to make sure everyone's listening. Lowell, I didn't see you raise your hand. Okay, there you go. All right. I knew he's excited to be saved. I just want to make sure. There's a lot of things that took place in your life when you accepted Christ, and you're not even aware of it. You're not even aware of it. It's much more than just going to heaven when you die. That's just a friend's benefit compared to the other things that Jesus did in your life the moment you were saved. When we trust Jesus, the Bible says we are completely transformed. Everything about us, we're transformed. The old part of you is gone, and the new has come. Paul shows us what this, what this looks like in this text right here that we just read. In verses 5 through 11, we see Paul outlining the old man. And the old man, remember, was your life prior to the time when you accepted Christ. Paul begins with a powerful statement in verse 5. He literally says, if you look in your Bible, put to death, therefore, anything that is earthly that is in you. Put it to death. In verse 3, again, he says, for you have died. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look pretty good being dead. And I'm saying this for Sarah's behalf. Turn to the person on your other side and say, you're dead to me. Oh, you're saying it to Ross. You're dead to me. You know, the Bible says at the moment you gave your life to Christ, a death took place. It was yours. It was yours. It was mine. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, the Bible says you died. You died to yourself. No longer can you do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Why? Because dead people do not get to make choices anymore. You've been bought with a price, the Bible says. The bigger question to ask is not so much seeing the person next to you as being deceased, but have you taken a good look in the mirror yourself and recognized that as well? The Bible tells us that the moment we went to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we died. We died to our old self, the old man. We are now walking around in this life, a new life. Jesus exchanged the life that you had, and he replaced it with his life. That is why you're going to see in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're seeing it on the screen. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. All new things have come. Everything is coming your way now. It is new. You didn't arrange it. He's bringing it up. He is the one that's leading you now on this journey. The moment you give your life to him, why? Because he's your father. And because he loves you. What father is there 
who's going to have a child and not give that child direction if that father doesn't love their child? What father is there who's going to go the distance in leading that child to the greatest life or experience the greatest kind of life that child could ever uh, uh, experience? If a father loves his child, he's going to do all these things and much more. And Jesus is far above any, any heavily, heavenly father we could ever ask for. Any. What does this mean? It simply means that you are no longer living for sin and yourself. Those things now, y'all, they're dead. They're dead. Salvation with Jesus, again, I'm going to say it again, is not about saying the prayer. It's not a, that's a beginning point. Listen, anyone at any time can say a prayer. Jesus said the scariest verse in the Bible Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, ye cursed one. I do not know you. Scariest verse in the Bible is that right there. You know why? Because there's going to be millions. There's going to be tens of millions of people that's going to go to Jesus on that day. And they think they're getting in. And Jesus doesn't even know them. That's scary. You know what? It's interesting to me on that. How do they know to call him Lord? They didn't experience him as Lord. They never had a salvation experience. But how did they know to call him Lord? It's because they were around people that knew. They were brought up. They were taught. They were involved in church. They were doing this. They were doing that. But they never made the commitment from here to right here. And that is why that is the scariest verse to me. It's important to recognize anyone can say a prayer. A prayer does not save you. It is your commitment. It is what is happening in your life since you have committed your life to God, which will begin with a prayer. But it's more your actions. If you are who you say you are, it's going to be seen in what you're doing. It's going to be seen in what you're saying. It's going to be seen in what you run from and what you run to. Now, it doesn't have anything to do with perfection because none of us in this room are perfect and we will blow it. That's the reason why John, when he wrote uh, the uh, first letter, of fir well, first John anyway, to the church, that church was a church of brand new Christians. And yet, what does he say in verse 7? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He was writing that to Christians. So it's not about perfection. And if you're in this room and you're thinking, man, I just keep screwing up. Guess what? You got a lot of company. Because those who would say, well, that's not me, you're lying. Paul's the one that said, the very thing I don't want to do, I keep doing it. And there's a, there's a lot of us in this room. Man, we could really identify with that. It's not about saying a prayer. It's about your commitment. It's about what you're doing with your life right now. It's uh, Back it up if there's something there. When you went to Him, y'all, He changed everything about you. He changed your perspective. He changed your purpose. He changed your person. The old man is gone. Now, so serious is this that Paul himself begins to list sins in this passage. I want you to think about this. No amount of positive talk about health is going to cure a ruptured appendix. The doctor is going to have to get negative with you to take out the appendix. In other words, that doctor is going to have to hurt you because he's going to have to cut you open to help you. No, uh, no amount of lecturing on beauty will ever produce a garden because the gardener is going to have to get out there and they're going to have to pull weeds. They're going to need to dig up the ground. The positive and the negative, they go together. If there is not a coming together of the two, there is an imbalance. 
You know, there's two pictures of the old man that Paul mentions in verses 5 through 9, and it's in your, your bulletin. The first is seen in verses 5 through 7 when we see uh, this first picture. The first is seen as the old man's ruins, the ruins of the old man. These things right here. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also, you once used to walk. These are the things that we take in internally, these things right here. These are the things that people will get involved with, but it starts internally. These are the things that will destroy you from within, from within. Uh, Paul doesn't have a problem naming sin whatsoever. He begins by talking about sexual sins. Specifically, there's four elements of sexual sins that he says must be put to death. The first is sexual immorality, which is pornea. This is where we get the word pornographic. It means every kind of immoral sexual relation. Now, this was a radical call in Paul's day, just like it is right now today. This whole PC society that we live in right now, it was, so, it was just as radical today as it was back then. He challenges us to avoid every single type of sexual temptation. Impurity, which simply means lustful impurity that is connected with luxury and loose living. Passion, when he describes it in these verses, describes a state of mind that excites sexual impurity. The person who cultivates this kind of appetite can always find uh, the opportunity to satisfy it. And that term that he used, evil desire, this refers to the desires that leads to the deeds, appetites that leads to actions. If we would purify our actions, then we must purify our minds and our hearts. And that's what Paul is saying. If you're having a problem doing these things over here, we need to start working what's going on in here, right here. To avoid all this stuff outwardly here, we need to start working on what we're taking in inside of us right now. Can you honestly think of any more type of sins that's more dominant and prominent in our society right now today than these things? It's 2,000 years later. The average American is daily subjected to a sea of sexual temptation on a given uh, evening of just watching TV alone, not past 9 o'clock, anytime you want to turn it on, uh, at any time. You're going to see more sensual sights than your grandparents did in their whole life. That's the day that we live in right now. The old man, that is the man of old, the man that we used to be, was involved in those things and Jesus says, Paul says, the word tells us you don't need to be a part of any of that. In fact, you cannot be a part of any of that. Because so serious, that's why the Bible says, for these reasons, the wrath of God comes. He will punish. Why? Because he knows this is going to kill you. This is going to not only kill you, it's going to kill your witness. And it's going to kill your relationships. The old man is what we are by natural birth. We are born in sin. The sin nature comes from Adam. But did you know that as far as God is concerned, and this is crazy right here, as far as God is concerned, he says, that old man that is in you, don't worry about it, it's dead. Because Paul comes out and he says it in verse 3, you have died, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as what? As dead. In the eyes of God, in the mind of God, it's dead. That old man is gone. It's dead. 
Sadly, we all know this old man is wanting to ruin our life. The old man that is within you sometimes is warring big time against the things that the Lord is leading you to do. We know it's alive, but you know what God says? It's dead. It's dead. You need to accept the fact that it is dead. You have a choice. You have a choice in what you do. Choose wisely. When I was in college, we went, did a mission trip. We were in the Orient. And when we were in Bangkok, when we were in Thailand, one day our teacher, Dr. DeBush, uh, reserved a one-day trip for everybody on the mission team to relax. So... We were going to this island. We were going to be taken there by this boat. And then we were going to be dropped off in these little boats as they go ashore. We were just going to hang out on this beach on this little tiny island um, that, uh, that was near Phuket, which is in Thailand with uh, Bangkok. I was in the first boat that got to shore. And there was like six or seven boats uh, taking everybody with us. There was about 30 of us. Well, me and this guy, this is his real name. His name is Gil Trout, all right? His parents, they were outdoorsmen, clearly. Well, Gil was an awesome tennis player. He was just sick. He was so athletic. It was gross. And we, we would run around together all the time. I don't play tennis, obviously. I idolize him because he was, like, really, really good. And so we're sitting there. We get out of the boat. We're going up to the shore, the water's up to our knees, and as we get on the seashore, we don't know where we're going. We were told when you get on land, hang a right. So we're hanging a right. And it's just like Gilligan's Island. It's nothing but all the trees and the jungle. It's right there. And we're just thinking, I'm thinking, man, this is so cool. This is just like what you see on TV. And we're walking. And as we're walking, we hear this rustle sound come from the jungle, literally. And it's real close to us. And you can't help but sit there and wonder, well, can I outrun Gil if I need to run? No, I don't think I can. So we're sitting there, and we just slow down, we stop. And as we're standing there, and this is probably about 15 feet away to where we were at, the jungle's here in this direction, was the, the noise, and out came walking two ladies. They were completely naked. What we didn't realize, we were dropped off onto an island. It was a nude island. And here's the mission team going on an R&R, &R, 24 hours, whatever, on a nude island. And as we're standing there, and they're walking our way, and there was probably only 20 feet from the water to where the jungle started. We're sitting there, and about that time, my eyes are realizing, what is going on here? Gil says, oh my. And I didn't even hear the rest. I grabbed his arm, I turned around, and I start looking at the ocean, and I'm pointing out something. There's nothing there. The boats are coming in from way over the other side, wherever that is now in my head, but there was nothing there. It's just blue water. But I'm sitting here going, uh, we've got a problem here. Uh, we overdressed, obviously. And, and I told Gil, I go, Gil, look. And he's looking, he goes, I am. No, look out here. And I go, look out here. And he goes, what are we looking at? I don't know, but talk to me. So we don't look stupid. Let's look like we're talking, you know. And they go walking by us, and I had this thought, what if they stop because they're wondering what we're pointing at because there's nothing out there? I mean, we look so engaged looking out at nothing. But the reason why I'm looking at nothing is because I didn't want to look at something because I knew it wasn't the way to go. You're going to be what you feed yourself on. You have to decide right now what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. You need to know right now why you're doing what you're doing. Here's the thing, y'all. Jesus is noticing every single thing we do. 
Everything. Even every word that we say. The Bible says every careless word, man shall speak, he'll render account for it on the day of judgment. Everything about you is known. And the moment you recognize that, the moment you will begin to understand that we are very accountable. And there's going to be a lot of things happening in your life. Some things are coming right out of the jungle. You don't even see it coming. And you need to be ready. You need to be ready. It's very important. So determine right now what is negotiable and what is not. You do not wait to get involved in the situation to have the discussion about what is right and wrong. You know it now. Philippians 4.8, you see it on the screen, tells us exactly what the Bible says. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The second picture of the old man is not just about the ruins of the old man, but it's the rags of the old man. You'll see that in verses 8 and 9. Now the old man's rags, these are his stained and tattered clothing. Uh, these are his habits. These are the habits of the old man. This is that which comes out of man. Uh, Paul talked about that when he says, uh, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. This is, these are his clothes. These are his clothes. This is his wardrobe, are these things right here. And believe me when I say, uh, the old man has something for every occasion, too, regarding this kind of wardrobe. I want you to remember, too, that Paul told them, you used to be like this. Remember the times when you used to let your anger just go crazy? Remember the time when you used to slander people? Remember the time when you used to lie to one another? Remember the time when you, your malice was just, you were number one? Remember your abusive speech problem that you had? It's always past tense. What he is saying is these things used to define you, but they don't define you anymore. You're new. You're a new person. God stuck his hand out of heaven to earth and he plucked you out. You're new. You're brand new. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, on these sins right here, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech, lying to one another, and these sort of, sorts of sins, these are the sins that a lot of people look at in good standing. They will ration to themselves, well, hey, at least it's not these things over here. See how we do that so quickly? I want you to look at this quote that he gave because it is so good. I don't want you to miss it. These types of sins. He said, we are so accustomed to anger, critical attitudes, lying, coarse humor among believers that we no longer are upset or convicted about these sins. We would be shocked to see a church member commit some sensual sin but we will watch him lose his temper in a business meeting and call it righteous indignation. Isn't that true? We so accept some things in comparison to others. We need to arrive at the point when we recognize that none of this stuff is acceptable in the life of a believer. None of it. None of it. Sin destroys us. Paul reminds us that sin doesn't just separate us from God, but it places us under His judgment. Under His judgment. On account of these things, Paul says, God will bring about His wrath. This is how sin destroys us. It separates us from God. It deceives us into thinking that we're not that bad. It condemns us under God's judgment, and it leaves us to face the penalty of death. Sin will destroy your conscience, destroys your relationships. Sin will destroy your family, your marriage. It will destroy communities. It will destroy churches. 
Sin destroys us. And my question for you today is, could it be that you have never found the freedom in Christ and knowing what it really means to live a really free Christian experience in your life because you're choosing to live out the life of the old man? Many of you that will struggle wondering, where is God? Why doesn't he speak to me? Maybe for some of us, what we need to do, we need to ask ourselves, maybe we're feeding the old man. Maybe that's the problem. Sin divides us. Instead of living the life of the old self, we are challenged to live according to the new self. Remember, we have been completely transformed. We are new creations in Christ. But notice what sin does. It is divisive. It is divisive. It is divisive. Paul says we are no longer divided if we're in Christ. Sin divides us, but Jesus makes us one. Here's the application to, to that. If you look in verses 9 and 10, the Bible says you have put off the old self and you have put on the new self. This is what is meant out with the old and in with the new. You take off your grave clothes. And you pull the weeds of legalism and you allow God's grace to take root in your life. That is what you do. Every single believer, every single believer has the new man in them. Jesus anticipated the day when this would even be so. In fact, he told two parables to this effect. In Matthew chapter 9, he talks about the parable uh, warning against sewing a new cloth on an old garment. And the other parable warned against pouring new wine into old wine skins. And if you know that, that those parables, you might have read those, and it's just constantly shot over your head. What does all that mean? It simply means this. God does not patch up the old nature. He doesn't put a Band-Aid on it. He doesn't patch it up. The Bible says He tosses it out. He replaces it. He replaces it with a new one. The old man is replaced with the new man. The carnal nature is removed, and in place of the carnal nature is the divine nature. That's what Jesus gives us. And ultimately, one day, the Bible says that our body is going to be replaced by a new one, the natural body for the spiritual body, the earthly one for the heavenly one. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the service today, what is the solution for the new you? Well, now you know. You need to lay aside your ruins you need to lay aside your rags of your outer garments. This year is going to be a great year, but it is only going to be as good as you are willing to allow the new man, the new woman in you to have it their way. It's only going to be as good as your walk with Christ. If you yield yourself to Jesus by allowing Him to lead you, laying aside your flesh desires, and really attempt, Lord, I want this year, I want to walk with you. I mean, I don't want to play church. I want to walk with you. And the moment you can... Buy into the fact that God has something in store for you. And it is a real change. It is something that you can sink your teeth into. It is something that will change every single thing about you and your perspective, everything. If you will put to death these things that you hang on to, that's just killing you. And that is the promise. That is the truth that we read here in Colossians chapter 3. Paul exhorts us in verse 12, as he tells the readers, basically, put off the grave clothes of sin 
and put on the grace clothes of holiness. That's what Jesus gave every single one of you the moment you committed your life to Christ and he committed his to you. You got to start believing it. And then you got to start buying into it. If you really want a real quick way of looking at what all of this means, the old man to the new man seen from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, you'll see it in these four uh, different stages. One, God forms us. Two, the law informs us. Three, sin deforms us. And four, grace transforms us. God forms us. The law informs us. Sin deforms us. But God's grace transforms us. And God's grace transformed you the moment you place your faith in Him. Right now, He is just ready for you to follow that up with how you live your life. Did you know that there is a custom in some churches in Africa right now, today, that when people get baptized, they literally burn their clothes because they're giving a new wardrobe, a white wardrobe. Say that real quick, three times. They burn their clothes. Know why they burn their clothes? They do that as a sign. I'm dead to what I used to have. I'm, I'm alive. It's that same picture, y'all. It's that same picture. That's what Jesus is talking about. So let me ask you today. What are you going to feed on that's going to make a difference in your life by changing your life? What are you going to feed on? What are you going to attempt to do this year? Maybe starting today, that's going to usher in a significant change, not just in your life, but maybe in the life of your family. What are you going to do? No one else can make that decision for you. You've got to make it. And if you've not made a decision to do something that's going to push you closer to Jesus, then what are you waiting on? Every day that we live is another day of an opportunity that God has given us to make things right. And until we make things right, we're going to struggle and we're going to wonder why we feel so alone because God's not with us. His presence isn't riding with us. And the reason is because we don't want Him in the driver's seat. We're doing it ourselves. The Bible makes it really clear. If any man be in Christ, he is an old creation. Uh, the old things have passed away. Behold, all new things have come. Paul uh, made uh, a comment in, in Philippians. Um, I want you to see. It's the last verse up here. It's a really good one. Paul looked at life this way. He forgot the things that were behind him, and he started moving forward to the things that lie ahead. And my prayer for all of us here today is that we're going to choose ourselves. We're going to forget every single thing that's happened in our past. If you'll nail something down today and say, Today, God, I really want to begin this journey of living what it means to really walk with you. What I say, what I think, what I do, the words I say, my, the, my, the, everything that, that is about me and how I impact others, influence others, affect others. I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. I'm not going to be a glass half empty. I'm going to be a glass half full. You need to look at everything from the eyes of God. And God says, I will work through you, but you've got to let me move through you. And this stuff that we do that messes with us and hurts us and hurts our relationships, it prevents us from experiencing God. It, 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 it completely robs us. And that's why we're so frustrated when things just don't seem to work. So let's remember you're a new person. If you've accepted Christ, if you know Christ, you're a new person. So you need to start living like it. You need to start acting like it. You need to start talking like it. If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus, and you want to know Jesus... <clears throat> then my, my advice to you is, in a few seconds, you'll be able to make your way on down. You can talk to anyone that's down here, and we will gladly help you to understand what does this mean, this personal relationship with Jesus? What does it look like? 
What happens? What is involved? We'll help you do that. If you're here today and you're just saying, listen, I'm struggling with the old man and that old man is kicking my butt. I just want you to know you can talk to people today that will be down here, people that will be at the end of the aisles. They would love to talk and pray with you. You're not alone. You're not alone at all. But that's why we go to church. So we can sharpen one another and encourage one another to become better at this thing that we call the Christian life and what we experience and the things that we do. But whatever God is doing in your life, my prayer for you this morning is that you let Him do it. Just pray. <clears throat> now, Jesus, we just want to come before you this morning. And Lord, we really do want to take this time to say, Lord, we, we know the work that you have done in our lives and in our hearts, but God, we need the grace to overcome these things that hold us back. And God, you give us that grace. Lord, when we were saved, the Bible says we were sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. That literally means greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And as the world is competing for our attention God, you are above that and you're asking for that same attention too and more. You want us to look to you. You want us to follow you. You want us to take your word as, as the beginning and the end of everything and just do it. God, it's my prayer today that for anyone in this room and they don't know what it means to have a relationship with you, God, I really do pray to encourage them to speak to someone. They, they can know when they leave here today, their whole life could be changed. God, for those in this room, and they're just stuck in that cobweb of sin, Father, I pray and ask that you would just help everybody in this room to swallow their pride. God, there should be no pride here. God, that they would just want to go and talk to someone and just pray that, God, you will begin to open up that door that gives them a way out. And, Father, I really ask that you would help us to discover what it means to really feel liberated from our sin. God, we have the new man. And it is my prayer that today and this whole year, every single one of us in this room refuse to listen to the old man. God, that we would walk with you as you lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.